Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia Success Podcast, where we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. On this show, I work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. This week, I'm talking to Jason Collada, who is an expert in IT security in the healthcare field. He spends all of his time trying to help practices and healthcare institutions prevent things like malware attacks and ransomware, where you log into your EMR one morning only to find out that you need to pay somebody in Grand Cayman $20,000 of Bitcoin in order to access your patient records. We talk about a lot of interesting things that I think will be applicable for everyone, not only people involved in the tech infrastructure of a practice, but also anybody who uses a tech device. Uh, Interestingly, he really loves LastPass, as do I, which we talk about a little bit at the end. So you might find that part helpful as you're thinking about how do I keep my passwords organized. As always, thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Anesthesia Success Podcast. I'm very pleased to be joined today by Jason Collada. Jason is the Director of Information Technology at Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions. And he's here to talk to me a little bit today about protecting your data, cybersecurity, and these types of considerations, which in the era of coronavirus and more and more decentralized healthcare, it's uh, it's a, a big concern for a lot of physicians and practices. So Jason, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your time. Just, uh, I really am passionate about this, uh, this topic and in just every day of what we do in helping um, our professionals walk along in the whole cybersecurity journey. So thank you. So yeah, tell us a little bit about what you do with Encompass. So with Encompass, uh, I started as a systems engineer. Uh, been a systems engineer for ooh, about 24, 25 years. Love to uh, be in the trenches digging, right? Um, love to be turning up the zeros and ones here and there. Uh, did a lot of management for clients over the years and stepped up into the director role and uh, now lead a, a group of professionals myself, as well as being able to connect with them and um, lead and guide them in this IT journey of ours. So as a director of information technology, whenever somebody comes to you and says, Jason, we, we have concerns about our cybersecurity protocol, or we're not sure that we're protected the way that we ought to be, tell, tell me how that process works when they come to somebody like you. So usually when somebody approaches me, the first thing uh, I wanna do is, put it into layman terms with them to really be able to communicate with them in the sense of that they, it's not a foreign language. They understand what I'm talking about and that they can comprehend. And if they don't, to keep speaking into that until they can um, understand what we're talking about. And I'm sure there's like a wide variety, you know, there's, I'm sure you probably, you help out like a, a sole practitioner pain doctor with like a medical assistant and an NP all the way up to more, I would call them like institutional, you know, bigger systems and with more robust infrastructure. Um, t- tell me a little bit about when you think about cybersecurity, first of all, what do those, those things have in common? The, the single doctor as well as the big institution. And then what are some of the key differences that uh, you try to help physicians and, and, you know, patients and all the stakeholders, you try to help, mm-hmm. help them sort yeah. of implement solutions. Well, for me, um, the, the size does not matter. Um, the environment, um, there's not one more important than the other. They're all the same to me. They're a, a practice that needs to be running with their infrastructure, which is IT nowadays, that needs to be protected and that needs to not get in the way of their practice so that they can do what they need to do 
and I don't have to worry about the equipment and behind the black curtain or in the closet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was reading an article uh, in preparation for this call. There was a recent article in Medical Economics. We'll link to it in the show notes. So anybody listening, anesthesiasuccess.com slash 62 will have references to all the things we're going to talk about here today. You know, there will be some good resources you're going to want to check out. But they were talking about uh, just in the era of COVID, telemedicine is getting much more popular and tech uh, is being relied upon to a much greater extent. People operating remotely, sometimes like employees and physicians using like personal hardware to, to do things remotely. And, and it's creating new vulnerabilities from a cybersecurity standpoint. So maybe take a minute and talk about some of the challenges that, that you're seeing right now, maybe a story or two about the era of coronavirus and what does this mean for, for sort of the IT infrastructure? Yeah, um, so that's our, that's our struggles. Uh, we like to control <laughs> as an IT group um, what we can have control of. As soon as it's the BYOD uh, age comes about, that's when you're actually supporting everything from A to Z, right? Instead of really being able to control your standards and being able to manage those standards. Um, of course, we would limit ourselves if we just looked at that piece and we could not support outside of that because uh, kind of like a quarterback, uh, you got to be flexible. You got to be able to read the defense in a sense of folks are going to have all different types of devices and situations that they need to connect to their corporate infrastructure to be able to get their work done. So for us, we need to be able to support that, but also recommend and maybe even um, at one point bring them up to speed or bring their equipment into um, a place that's a little more secure and that uh, is following you know, protocol and just basic um, IT standards and processes. From a data standpoint, we're talking about this like data, protect your data. That's sort of a, you know, it's kind of vague. So if I'm a, if I'm a bad actor, I'm a person out there sitting in a dark room in some undisclosed location who's trying to get hack into a healthcare system. What, what is in there? What's in the database of some hospital or some surgery center? What's in there that I'm trying to get? And what am I going to do with it hypothetically? Gotcha. So there's what's called PHI, uh, public health information. And first of all, usually for the hacker, it's a, it's a challenge. It's like a puzzle. I need to get into the fortress, right? And that's where the gold is. Um, and really, it is the gold. Because on the black market, on the dark web, that gold turns into dollars. And so that patient information, whether they can resell it for identity theft that can be used, uh, it's your personal information that they're after. That's usually what they're going for. So it's the personal information which they then want to monetize and the danger is that identity theft, you know, linking to my address and social and, and using that to open up, you know, lines of credit. And the names of, in the, in the case of a physician, all your patients are now going to have potentially like credit cards opened up that are going to not be actually owned by the patient. And that's the, that's the downside. What systems are we talking about here? Because obviously there's like the EMR where everything lives as far as the, the health information. But we've got email, we've got other communication, we've got a, a lot of different software platforms. So there, is there one or another of them that you see as like more of a, this one's really a problem. Every time we see an issue, it's like a, this type of issue or that type of, this type of vulnerability getting exploited. Is there a particular thing that's a, a common pain point when hackers are trying to access health information? Yes, uh, and I'll, I'll give you an example, and it, it still goes on to this day. Um, there's the basic practices of patching your servers. 
And patching does a great thing. It, uh, it closes a wound, so to speak, so that the hackers, because they'll exploit, they'll figure out that weak point, that wound, and go for it. And most of the time, it's as simple as just applying these Windows and operating system updates um, for step one. Sometimes it's uh, setting up multi-factor authentication, making it two steps in order to be able to connect. But we had one surgery center that when I was looking through the event logs one day, when we had just brought them on, boy, I noticed it was just every second in the event viewer log line that somebody was sending a username and password, two of them every second, and just 24 seven. So that raised my alarm. What they were trying to do is remote in on port 3389, which is a known port, which again, hackers know that back in the day, it was great. People would remote in on that port. They would go through the door to get into your network and remote into the, you know, their terminal server and be able to get into their EHR. Well, the bad actors out there know that door. So they exploit it. And what we ended up doing was we shut it down and we ended up putting VPN, uh, virtual private network connection in place. So it's a two-step process. You connect to the VPN, which connects you to your network, and then you're able to remote in. And that stopped it completely. Uh, but it was very scary because once you start seeing that, and we've had another practice that uh, we weren't taking care of their IT support at the time, that on <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday uh, one year, that's when they got attacked. And the bad actor used that same situation where they exploited a username and password and then basically encrypt everything, ransomware all the servers, which were all physical, and all the workstations physical. So that took them down for at least a couple weeks. They ended up having to play some, pay some Bitcoin to get their data back so they could keep their business running. I mean, you're talking about a multi-million dollar operation. Um, so it was, it was pretty scary. So you actually work with clients of yours who see their operations grind to a halt because literally they come in on a Monday and in order to like fire up your email and get into your EHR, there's, it's like, you know, enter a passcode or wire, you know, 3000 Bitcoin to this offshore bank. Is that kind of what, what you're describing? Yes. Yeah. And they're dead in the water at that point. Yeah. Now, I mean, they've probably most... got like patients booked out all like the waiting room is full and everyone, they're waiting and they can't do anything because their systems are, are down. It's kind of what you're describing. Correct. And uh, what do you go to? Good old paper. <laughs> a, a, lot of, a lot of practices, usually what we uh, work with is we try to have them a backup strategy because technology is great and technology can fail. What are some of the other mediums that we can go to uh, as a backup, right? Um, so a lot, of, a lot of places will go to backup with paper and what have you. Still slows things down. We don't have immediate access to the patient records. They won't have immediate access to uh, getting x-rays uh, transferred over to the certain systems and what have you. So yeah, you're losing a lot of money once that happens. Yeah. And then it creates this huge backlog of uh, analog data that then needs to be digitized. And so your, your business is, your practice is still running at the same pace, but then you need to do this like catch up like three weeks from now after you've paid the million dollar Bitcoin ransom. Correct. Yep. Oh, what so a nightmare. You're, yeah. You're paying it both ends, you know, um, you, do you, have you, um, you know, I'm curious with the ransomware cases to which you've been exposed, do you see that it 
And, and there's like a pretty famous one with um, Fitbit, I guess, a few weeks ago too. Or it was the Fitbit got hit with this ransomware and they were down for a few days. And obviously that's not medical records in the, the normal sense, but it's definitely that personal data. And Fitbit was stuck with this same question of do we wire Bitcoin <laughs> or, or whatever, or, or do we uh, try to, you know, technologically address this vulnerability? And I think they did end up I think they officially they didn't say that they paid it, but they said we're up and running now. Kind of like don't don't worry about the details. Um, probably a little kind of bashfully, not wanting to admit that they had to pay off the the bad actor. But you know, do you see that whenever a ransomware attack happens, do you see that it's like there's an exchange of you know funds and then it works, or do you see like sometimes people pay and it doesn't work, or how does that usually work? So back in the day, you were always told, don't pay, don't pay, don't pay. Well, put yourself in, in, in the shoes of the one, you know, having your practice up and running, and all of a sudden it comes to a halt. And you're like, if I pay, I can keep my practice up. Or if I don't pay, I don't have my data anymore. And we'll go into backups later on. Um, so most people pay. These bad actors, great salesmen. They got a great business. <laughs> yeah. Philosophy a high because, margin business. <laughs> oh, and what they do is, is the Bitcoin is not that much. You're talking $6,000, $10,000. not going to say a million dollars where you're like, well, there's no way we can pay. They make it feasible for you to pay. You pay it. And then why would somebody not give you the uh, encryption key? Because that's bad business. And then you'll talk about it to other people. And then people will go right back to the don't pay them. Don't pay them. So they want business. Business is good on a bad scale. They want you to pay it. That way, they give you the key, good business. You'll tell others, pay it, pay it, pay it. Yeah. So, so with the cases you've dealt with, dealt with or that you've heard about, is, is that kind of the price range, like six to 10 to 20 grand? It, it, uh, with, with a couple of clients we worked with, that's, that's what it was. Um, you know, but uh, I guess it depends on the organization. Again, business people, they probably look at the type of business and profile it and then figure out what's a good uh, sales margin. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if it's like 10 grand, you know, it would it would probably make sense for somebody to just, if that happens yeah. on Super Bowl Sunday, you should stroke that check <laughs> at 7 a.m. on Monday morning just to have it go away. Is that right. kind of the response that you see that people have? Or, or how would you counsel someone in that situation? Well, and really you want to assess it. Um, it was very easy for... Um, this practice to, to do that because they had no backups, none whatsoever. So they didn't have a fallback. Uh, usually, uh, I mean, in our case here at the company, somebody had clicked on something and it encrypted our files. We didn't pay, pay any ransomware or anything like that. We ended up going right to our backups. We were able to restore just fine. So in the case with this other medical practice, if they would have had backups, that would have been a you know, a possible solution. You, you really want to go to your backups if you have them, as opposed to paying the ransomware. But in their case, they didn't. So it's kind of an easy answer for them to go ahead and pay it, which they did. And they got the encryption key, they got their data back, and then they moved on. Of course, they cleaned up in aisle five, big time. <laughs> right. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, is it ransomware that's kind of the biggest fear? Or are there other types of attacks, other things that are either common or very, very damaging that you see happen that you try to help uh, companies or practices or institutions protect against? Yes. Uh, phishing's a big one out there. 
We see it a lot in our emails. It's very effective because they keep using it year after year. Uh, in fact, we just had that happen in our company and we do a phishing campaign monthly here where it sends out a fake email and people will get it. If they click on a link, it'll go to an educational site that they can actually say. <laughs> Their computer will you, start blaring. You, this person you, was an idiot. <laughs> they clicked on this email. You failed the test. No, yeah. but um, what it does is we just really want it to resonate so you can get the hair on the back of your neck to go up going, something's not right here. That's where we want you to be because that's what happened. Uh, basically, an email came from our CEO, which it really wasn't from our CEO to our accountant saying, can you please wire money to this account? And they gave a legit account with the uh, routing number and what have you. So of course she engaged, okay, well, what is this for, et cetera, et cetera, you know, kind of nibbling on the bait. And then at one point, the hair went on the back, went up on the back of her neck and then she ended up calling the CEO and he's like, no, that was not me. Uh, we've had two clients that that wasn't the case. They went through with it. And what happens is that these guys are slick. I mean, uh, basically they're having you do the work for them, for them to be able to try to um, hack into your bank account and make wire funds. That's, yeah, that's too many steps. That's too much work. So what they try to do is get you to do it. Hey, here's a, legit bank account, here's a routing number, wire everything over there. And as soon as you wire it, you can't get it back. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and obviously as a financial professional myself, I, we've, we've been dealing with these a long, long time. And if, uh, you know, I was in the industry probably like two months before I received the first email and it's always, you know, any, you know, any wire, a third party wire that's not going to like, hey, move it from this account, which you can see, and you, you're familiar with to this other account that you're also familiar with, as soon as we're going to some other account number, it's always pick up the phone, call the client. Um, but uh, it's, it's um, you know, it's interesting to see that there's, I guess, at the business level, you know, even going after your vendors, your partner, your, your accountant. I mean, somebody had to like figure out who your accountant was. And then it's, it's, makes you just kind of scratch your head and say, how, how on earth did they figure that out? <laughs> and it's kind of terrifying, but also that's, I guess, just the, that's the day we live in now. And a lot of times your website, your website is whatever you put on it, they can usually profile off of that. And uh, just really digging to, to pull that information to do a nice educated hack, you know, that'll, that'll get you. It's crazy to me to think that there's just people sitting in their mom's basement somewhere cruising around on websites, like doing this homework, this due diligence to create this attack. But I, I, I... it's a, ch it's challenges, you know, people yeah. love, uh, puzzles, people love those type challenges. And this is just a challenge in the digital world. Um, uh, bad choices, correct. <laughs> you know, um, when, um, as you've seen a lot of, uh, those bad choices end up becoming good choices where they turn and actually make a living and go work for a reputable company, like a pen testing type company where, Hey, you can pay me to hack in and see vulnerabilities of a company. That's, that's when you're making good choices. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm sure it's m much less lucrative to be a uh, consulting for yeah. corporate rather yeah, than right, asking yeah. a bunch <laughs> of doctors for Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so tell us what, what are the other things that you see out there that you, you know, maybe clients either that you help protect them against, or they come to you with their tail between their legs thinking, Oh my gosh, like one of our, one of our 
people clicked on this and it you know blasted out the EMR into the dark web. Like what 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 are the what are the things are you seeing and dealing with? Um, like some of the some of the pieces that we'll usually um, educate against is because. Uh, Humans are the weakest link, and that's who they'll go after. Uh, social engineering is, is, is another big piece and has been for years. You know, it's where- yeah, What does actor, that mean? Yeah, basically it's where a uh, hacker is posing themselves as somebody else. Uh, and a uh, hacker is basically, he'll call up uh, a company and say, hey, I'm the HVAC person. I need to get into your HVAC system. I'm doing my regular monthly maintenance. Please give me the username and password and the, you know, the link to get into it because in the IOT things of these days, there's username and passwords and they're usually not changed. They're usually uh, set or they come with a default username and password. Uh, that's where you saw uh, a while back where uh, several, several years or so where there was a big um, uh, hacking incident where they went after the internet of things, meaning your router, meaning any, any kind of appliances that are on the internet. Cause as a consumer, you're going to plug it in and want to just plug and play. You don't want to have to go into the technical aspects to lock the doors, basically change that username and password. So that was easy for them to do. Um, but again, it's just it's education, 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 uh, repeating, repeating, repeating so that there's just uh, it stays as a glimpse on the radar and because we're all busy. We're all doing this <laughs> that it's easy to hook and bait us. And it's like, even if you get a little hooked, it's to pull out at a certain point instead of following through with Right. Yeah, I saw it, with the social engineering thing, it's reminding me, there was this thing going around, maybe you've heard about it. It's, it's not hacking specifically, but it's, uh, there's been these cases where somebody will call your cell phone and there's somebody else like screaming in the background like, I've got your sister in the trunk of my car. I need you to download the cash app and send me $5,000 right now. Here's the username. And I've been, this is something that I, I first heard about like back in March and I saw again on Twitter the other day and I actually like screenshotted it and forwarded it to my family. I was like, guys, like you need to know this is happening. Like if you think that your sister is in the trunk of someone's car before you wire or use a, a download an app and send five grand, like call your sister uh, and just make sure that she's not just sitting at her desk, you know, doing her job. Um, and that's, but still that's very, you can imagine like being in that situation and it's how emotionally distressing and you hear someone screaming, you're like, oh, like it's. You're not thinking rationally at that point. Right. Um, well, it, it's just, the fear. That's what they're preying yeah, on. You right. know, that spirit of fear. And that's where it really gets us as humans. Yeah. Um, so it's trying to step back at that point And like you're saying, validate some things, first of all, you know, but it's hard when you're in the middle of it, right? You just yeah. like, I want to help. I need to help. I need to save, you know, yeah. so. Um, I know that you also mentioned uh, in the email exchange before this call, uh, Zoom and like securing Zoom. So obviously Zoom, you know, since January, they just had like the golden ticket. They didn't obviously could not have foreseen coronavirus. And I wish I would have bought Zoom stuff, but, you know, back in January. And this is not stock advice. So anybody who's listening to this don't, you know, not financial advice, but um, they have just gone through the roof as far as their, their sales and profitability and everything. They've also seen some growing pains, right? They've <laughs> They've had issues with, Security there there was like, you know, the joke for a while was like there'd be, you know, a class having a session and then people would zoom oh, yeah. bomb or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that that creates all kinds of problems. 
Now, Zoom has iterated and iterated and created the, you know, I need to let you into my Zoom room and like yes. click approve and there's other layers. But as a, as a user of Zoom myself, I mean, we're doing this interview right now on Zoom and okay. I, I use it with my clients and I'm sure there are some best practices for either for just like teleconference in general or for Zoom specifically where we should have some settings or some things to be aware of to make sure that we're being as secure as we reasonably can. And the, the nice thing about Zoom, they corrected it. They, uh, they hired a security expert to bring in and to really plug and patch the holes. Uh, it was nice because in the beginning, I was, uh, once that started happening, I went away from it. You know, I ended up going to Teams. And once they put the right person in the place and they started updating and you, you would see the regular, which still now, security patches coming out. My confidence came back. I use both platforms. Uh, yeah. It's really nice. But they defaulted a lot of things they didn't default in the beginning, Got like it. lobbies or waiting rooms, right? right. So they're, they're, they're taking action. It's really truing up what's um, been probably weak in the past mm -hmm. because of where we are right now. So, uh, Right. So in your opinion now, Zoom is as secure as it needs to be for, or at least as secure as we can reasonably expect for doing business or I don't know, is it, you know, from like a, what about from like a, you know, doing like telemed, I, I'm sure Zoom is not HIPAA compliant, but as far as the HIPAA compliant, like video conferencing platforms out there, are there any other like Achilles heels for these types of platforms or any other unique, you know, problems or challenges in the telemed era that you you guys have seen? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, we I was talking to one peer of mine that works for a uh, women's clinic um, and they ended up using Zoom. Zoom has a business telehealth uh, piece to it. So really, um, you always want to go with a business grade in a business situation. Don't go with consumer grade in a business platform. Um, there's reasons, and there's reasons for the price difference. I know we like to not spend as much money on our IT like we're supposed to, but really, you got to get the right tool for the right situation. And um, you know, a lot, a lot of the telehealth is bumping up and up in their game as well. But really, it's to talk with the professionals and make sure that they have a, a telehealth piece that addresses HIPAA and addresses those pieces of uh, that confidential patient information being exchanged over that conferencing wire. Yeah. So for a, a physician or a practice or a healthcare institution, there's sort of different layers of... Um liability we could call it there's like there are different i should say different like different problems that are presented whenever ransomware or whatever like your data gets stolen there's the problem of i can't run my business i can't see patients i can't do the procedures there's the problem of all that data is now out there and it's bad pr and then there's the problem of maybe there's like a class action lawsuit against this or that medical system that's like your employee clicked on that phishing attack and now the emr is out there in the dark web so Maybe talk us through those different problems and how do you see institutions address them when they when they when a bad thing happens? We try to be preempt preemptive. You know, right, that makes like sense. Put in your yeah your backups and stuff like that. That's not always the case, um, and then these things happen. So, with this uh, this medical facility, they called us because we had a relationship with them. And they're like, hey, can you help us out? And it's like, well, not today, it's Super Bowl. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, for us is to, it's like firemen. At that point, you put on your suit, you jump in, you start mitigating. 
And that's what we did. And we really uh, helped them out, um, uh, explained to them, and really jumped in on how to shut those doors down, put that security infrastructure in place, and even down to the basics of um, rebuilding the servers and what have you. Um, they had a lot of physical servers at the time, like you need to move them to a virtual platform, you need to move them to where you can get snapshots instead of just file backups. So for us, when the fire is hot and rising, we just go in like firefighters at that point. But then at the end, we back up after that happens and let's get a plan in place. This is where you're at. This is where you need to be. Let's get those steps you know, in place. So if there's a data theft, do you have a way to say, if XYZ Surgery Center sees that they've been, they're, they've been compromised and they, they're afraid that their patient data is out there, do you have a way to go out onto the dark web and say, oh yeah, like we found, we found a file for your EMR that somebody is trying to sell for 4,000 Bitcoin out there in this you know, URL based in some, you know, whatever, wherever it is that looks, it looks like a, the bad actor that we think that this was. Do you have a way to, to sort of see the thing floating around out there? Well, there's actually services out there that will go out and start searching. You know, it's like a big database and they'll start searching for credit card numbers, start searching for your, um, your identity, your name, your social security. And they can come up with that information and go, yes, it's prevalent, it's out there. Um, so it's, it's, it's quite scary when it gets to that point because then there's a whole nother war room you gotta go in and start planning um, to be able to, to navigate that. Right. I'm curious, and I don't know to what extent you sort of have visibility to this, but if, if that surgery center that had their EMR compromised and now has it on the dark web, what if their patients all try to sue them? Or, or there's some legal action that, you know, maybe the surgery center was at fault. Like, have you seen that happen? And kind of what, what's at stake in, in that way? I personally, I have not been in the whole legal arena when that's happened. And I, I, I bet you have some great legal experts out there that, that have really have gotten into that match, that boxing match that is, that's a whole nother playing field uh, when that happens. And it's unfortunate because it gets pricey once you, once you bring in the big guns. <laughs> Nobody wins at that point. <laughs> no. Except no. that guy sitting in his mom's that's, basement laughing with the Bitcoin in his account. <laughs> it kind of makes me think of um, Die Hard 4, <laughs> Live Free or Die Hard, where yeah. you know, it's the, they call it the fire sale. It's like, oh, they're running the playbook. They take out the telecom and then they, you know, and it's this systematic like, you know, cyber attack, which is terrifying in itself. But well, that's, that's a, for another episode. Is it what else should someone, a, a physician or a practice owner or a key stakeholder, part of the, someone who's like a decision maker in the tech infrastructure, what, what else should they be aware of as far as doing the due diligence, making sure they have the right people on their team to be able to build things properly, protect themselves, train staff? Like what are the other questions that they should be asking? Um, I've noticed with a lot of the smaller uh, practices that they don't have those key people in there. It's like, oh, let me just research it. Hey, we'll get, um, we'll look at the business developer or the accountant or the accountant's son to just come in. They know a little knowledge about IT. It's okay. They can take care of business. Um, it, that, that doesn't work. There's a lot of holes that come with that. Um, and then what was your second question? Um, just, I guess, what other questions should they be asking as far as creating, you know, a stable, tech infrastructure that's going to be as as defended as possible from right, these threats. Right. And 
there's a, there's a lot of uh, best practices out there. Um, as far as the solid foundation, like I was speaking about earlier, the, the patching of all your systems, uh, applying patches to your networking equipment, your workstation servers and things like that. Um, let's see, another piece is uh, security piece for like your workstations. If you have PHI, are you working with HIPAA? Are you working in that arena? If so, are you encrypting your data? Because what everybody's using now? Laptops, um, mobile devices. We need to secure those because inevitably it's gonna get stolen. It's gonna uh, be compromised. And then at that point, they're gonna try to grab data off those, uh, those hard drives and those devices. If you have it encrypted, that's one great layer of protection. Uh, Multi-factor authentication. Uh, with Microsoft 365, you can easily enable it where, again, it's, it's a two-step process, you know, in order to get in, to get into your email, get into your settings, and get into your accounts. You want, it's like that security guard at the gates. You want that piece saying, who are you? And just, you know, validating that information before letting you in. We, in our fast-paced society, we just want to get in and do our thing. I, I'm the same way. I just want to get in and do my thing. But there's risk now, and you just have to step back, and it's the, it's, it's the world we live in. Take a deep breath and go, yes, validate me. Okay, thank you. I'm off and running and doing my thing. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about softwares like Chrome plugin for LastPass or Password One or those types of like, I'm going to create a secure password, I'm going to keep it in some secure server, and then you have some master password that's 37 characters of alphanumeric special characters that that is going to create that additional layer of like, it, it makes your passwords, I guess, more secure just because you use 16 characters instead of eight. Like, what do you think about those types of browser plugins and things like that? Yeah, I was just saying, let me start here. Do you use LastPass? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yes, I do. And I was very apprehensive. I did not want to use it. I'm like, no, I got my notebook. I got all my different passwords. I'm just, I got all my sticky notes stuck yes. on the side of my monitor in my office. <laughs> Underneath my, my keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> um, we embraced it. Uh, because that's what we actually help others use. And there's so many different platforms, like you said. I love it. First of all, it, it takes um, that manual piece of the uh, sticky notes. And I mean, we went into one uh, potential client at the time and we said, where are you, you know, keeping your passwords? And I looked up in their uh, cubicle, in their cabinet, and they had a binder that said passwords on it. I'm like, Oh, okay. That's where it's at. <laughs> at least put like recipes or something on the spine of that binder, not passwords. <laughs> but again, we just want to do our jobs. I mean, we're going to try to find the quickest way possible. And that's when we start being relaxed and we, and we compromise. But LastPass, thumbs up. Love it. I even got my wife on board. <laughs> she was apprehensive too. And we can really generate passwords that are a little more complex uh, with using those. Uh, and you only have to remember one password. And if you don't remember that one password, then you can't get to the rest of your password. So right, you right. got to keep that one somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. LastPass too, because I keep other, I keep like my, um, you know, you can keep your passport number in there and credit card numbers and other things are like, I need to remember this number at some random time, my frequent flyer number for, you know, my like American Airlines, pro like all that stuff. And like my Google Gmail reset codes and all the things that like you need to have a laptop to add. like if I didn't have my you know laptop or whatever I'm going through security this happens all the time like when I'm traveling and it's uh, TSA and I'm trying to get my little frequent flyer th my um, 
fast pa or what do they call it? The uh, pre-check. TSA pre-check added to my boarding pass. It's not there. I need to go to the counter and like, oh, my laptop. Like I know I have it. I, it, I keep it in my phone on the last pass. I can access my TSA pre-check number for my, um, you know, known traveler ID. And it's, it's like the perfect catch-all for the important things that, uh, that you need to be able to access at random times. So <laughs> anybody out there listening, not using one of these password um, capture systems, LastPass is awesome. They have a Chrome plugin. You can generate secure passwords. And we get the, we just got the thumbs up from the director of IT <laughs> of Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions. So that says and, something. And there's also OneNote. I use OneNote as well, just uh, for my home, but I can also, in, in, um, uh, you can password protect the uh, notebook sections. A lot of people don't know that, where that somewhat encrypts that data. Um, so yeah, I mean, all, all possible solutions nowadays are seeming to put that sort of security piece into it. You just have to use it. Yeah. Yep. Cool. If any of our listeners, Jason, have questions or they want to have you come and try to hack into their system to see how secure it is or perhaps recommend some solutions, where can they find you? Uh, you can find us easily on the web at EncompassHDS.com. That's E-N-C-O-M-P-A-S-S-H-D-S.com. And again, we have an array of other ser uh, services as well. Uh, we do credentialing as well as expense management, as well as billing. So we like to um, we like to have an array of services as well as just not IT because usually it's practices that have IT that need other services as well. So uh, if we can fill a need, we love it. That's our that's our passion. Awesome. Well, Jason, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks for joining us on the Anesthesia Success Podcast. You're awesome. Thanks so much, Justin. You have a nice day. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to anesthesiasuccess.com where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesiology and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I would also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on the Anesthesia Success Podcast.